This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Fraser Nelson. Today is a significant day in Rishi Sunak's premiership. It is the day of his first U-turn. Fraser, we heard last week that Rishi Sunak from Downing Street was not planning to go to COP27 and said he was going to work on the autumn statement. Now he is planning to go. What does this tell us? That the laddie is for returning, I'm afraid to say. I've no great opinions whether he should or shouldn't go to COP. But what I do think is that when Rishi Sunak says he does something, he'd better do it. If he establishes a reputation for somebody who can get blown around, then he will get blown around. If he responds to pressure, people will apply more pressure to him. Now, I can see, by the way, the reason for not going to COP26. He's got a... 27, sorry. Now, um, that he's got a budget to do. He's got a small boats crisis to... Pretty long flight. On all the rest of it, £2,000 a room, hotel nights. Who needs it? In many ways, this is all... You know, I think Greta Thunberg's quite right to say that this is sort of staged nonsense. Now he's saying, oh, this is very important, the biggest problem facing our planet, etc., except it's completely not. But anyway, suffice to say that he's going along with that. And now that he's going off to, to do what he said he wouldn't do. Now, this isn't, you know, a huge thing, but I do think it's worrying because there's going to be lots of other people wanting to blow Rishi Sunak, of course. And if you think there's now a game to be played, that if you basically come up with a good protest, can get the news for two or three days, he'll buckle, then you can expect a lot more of that treatment. Now, James, the counter would be... Rishi Sunak has listened and you want uh, someone who can, in charge of the country, who can listen to criticism and change course when required. Where do you fall on this? I think the thing that makes this different is the UK currently holds the COP presidency and is passing it on to the Egyptians. So I think not to have gone in those circumstances would have been a snub. I also think that one of the achievements of the Glasgow COP was to say that normally COPs operate uh, uh, on a kind of cycle where there's an important one, then the next you are not as important. One of the achievements of COP26 in Glasgow was to say that the next COP would be regarded as an important COP too because of the urgency of the situation. And that's why Emmanuel Macron and Joe Biden are both going. I think something that the UK government hadn't clocked when one of Theresa Coffey's defences of the original position was, well, neither Macron nor Biden are going. Well, Most people could have Googled that, right? Whenever a government ends up U-turning, then it has made a flawed initial decision, right? That's why they are U-turning. So I think in those, in those combination of circumstances, I think it was right to go. I think also... If you realise you've made the wrong decision, to stick with that wrong decision, come what may, I, I, I think is, is generally not the right thing to That's do. That's exactly what Liz Truss said a few days ago, wasn't it? She was making a great defence. Oh, what a good thing about me as no, leader no, is I change no, my no, positions. No, no, no. And... no, I think if you, I mean, the difference between... First, I, I think this is not as big a U-turn as, say, you turning on 45p on the mini-budget. But I think the difference here is Liz Truss's argument was but she still believed in what she was doing. I also think one of the challenges for anyone who moves from being Chancellor to being Prime Minister. And I know he has done that with an interlude of not being in office at all. But I think one of the challenges is doing the whole job of Prime Minister rather than being the Chancellor who who, you know, who has moved next door. That is the, the balancing factors here. 
We can be charitable and put it down to teething problems, I guess. I mean, yeah, only in number 10 a few days, perhaps he had to make a few, you know, um, misjudgments. Perhaps this is one of them. But I was also very interested to find out what number 10 now save is going to be almost a plenary U-turn. He's now, he now will not, is not going to stand by any of the promises he made when he was running for leader in summer. Now, that to me is very interesting because I wonder why... I wonder why he's, he would say that. The reason I think the COP27 U10 is different is because that is a decision he made on entering government that he has now changed course on. Mm. And actually, I think, because I've also seen lots of that, oh, this isn't actually the first U10. So I think probably it's the first significant U10 in the sense that you can have a, you know, you can add up saying, oh, well, he's already rode back in the NHS appointment thing. As you say today at the lobby briefing, we now have the suggestion that they are not committing to anything he said in that leadership contest. I think what gives Rishi Sunak some cover here is he's inheriting, it's not a completely different situation than the woman who's making promises over the summer, but it is a worsening of you know the economy that he has taken over now so the pledges you made then would you make them at the same time i feel like he's probably got a little bit more slack there because he didn't stand for election this time and therefore well just because i think it's a slightly different landscape than when he said that and that's after liz truss has come in and done various things yeah, i've just say i regard this as one of the flaws in richie Sunak as a politician i think there's lots to admire about him but let's take the, the Tory manifesto pledge in 2019 not to increase national insurance. Now he will say, ah, oh, that was before the pandemic came along, so I know that we can no longer be held by this pledge. You see, in politics, if you make a promise, you ought to keep it. And there's two sorts of politicians, the ones who stand by the word and the ones who don't. Most of them don't. Which ones are good at standing by the word? Um, well, let the, the, they're, let's, a good question, actually, Katie, because ultimately, the longer they're in politics, the, the more you learn not to Rishi's trust them. Not, Rishi's um, yeah, not making you wait too long, I guess. So part of me wants to believe him, you know, and part of me wants to believe when he says he's not going to cop, I think, wow, brave decision. But that's not what I thought. I thought to myself, I bet he changes his mind. Um, and on that phrase, the, the one thing I wonder about the COP27 U-turn is ultimately we know we're heading to a very tricky autumn statement, this idea of you know spending cuts, tax rises that could affect everyone. Does Surely there's now a chance that MPs look and see that he can be pushed into positions and that just increases the chance of people saying, actually, I don't like what you're planning here. Well, what he hasn't done yet is you turned on his spending position. Now, if he does that, it really could get very nasty for him very quickly. He is about to make some very difficult decisions. We're told that he's going to, you know, in the, in the Osborne austerity era, they did um, 80% um, spending cuts and 20% tax rises. That's how they did it. We're told it's going to be 50-50 here, presumably because even though the government's like 50% bigger than it was under the Blair era, they're struggling to find areas where savings can be made. But that's going to be very, very difficult. And public sector pay awards, about 2% versus inflation of about 10-11. Very difficult decisions. Now, if he comes up with any of these things, then obviously those who oppose those decisions will have to work out, is it worth starting a campaign? Is it worth um, protesting in the street, ch- chaining themselves to the railings of, of Downing Street? Because if Sunak is somebody who tells himself, OK, the facts have changed, but whatever is a major pro- protest, is that a, a changed fact? In which case, you can expect more of these protests. So I think that this is, om- this is not a great way to establish yourself as somebody who says what he means and means what he says. We're also, but let's face it, the very he never expected to be prime minister even three weeks ago. So I'm prepared to put this down as a um, as a sort of blip, a part of the um, 
the flotsam and jetsam of entering politician, entering number 10 so quickly. But if he starts a U-turn on the spending decisions he's got to make, then he really is in trouble. I thought George Osborne made an interesting point on the Andrew Neil show on Sunday, actually, when he was talking about tax rises. And he was saying that, you know, look, if, you, if, you, if you look at the levers, the kind of classic big revenue raises, how many of them are now, you know, out, out of commission, right? Because obviously, you know, he raised VAT at the start of his, you know, the start of the austerity era. That's obviously much more difficult to do now because if you raise VAT right now, you would compound the inflation problem, the cost of living problem. You know, his point there was that when he ended up uh, in that omni-shambles budget, what did for him was kind of changes that beforehand wouldn't have instinctively sounded controversial, changes to the taxation regime for pasties, static caravans, all this stuff. And he was just saying that, you know, one of the dangers is that that, that, that if because these big levers are out of reach, you end up reaching for, 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 for smaller levers, which can end up causing you big problems. Now, at Prime Minister's Questions today, Keir Starmer went up against... Keir Starmer went up against Rishi Sunak on the subject of immigration. Fraser, we don't often hear Labour going on the attack on immigration. It tends to be a difficult issue for the party. Do you think Keir Starmer has an opportunity here? Do you think voters could trust Labour more than the Tories? Well, it's certainly true that the Tories don't seem to be doing a terribly good job of defending the borders. James's political column, which comes out tomorrow, there's quite a a striking fact in it that more um, people arrived in small boats on one day last week than arrived in the first six months of 2019. So that is a sign of something going out of control. I mean, Labour would be crazy if they would not go on the attack when the government is so vulnerable on something which should be a core area of Tory competence. Although the harder question for Labour is what's its position going to be on asylum seekers? Is it going to be harsher or more lenient than the Conservatives? I mean, is it Labour's position that we should be rejecting every single Albanian? In the way, by the way, that the Swedes and the French, they don't take a single... The, the, the success rate for Albanian asylum seekers there is, is 0%. In Britain, it's closer to, I think, 50 or 60%. There was also an interesting fact that um, my colleague Michael Simmons picked up today, that, that something like... One one in every 200 Albanians is currently awaiting for an asylum decision in Britain. That's how many of them have come over here from the small boats awaiting that. Now, are Labour going to be saying that they would be harsher, that they would take a less tolerant view? There may be a political opening for them there, but it's difficult because you can see that Labour's instincts will be the other way around, to accuse Suella Braverman of being cruel and unkind and um, uncharitable and not having a warm enough welcome for asylum seekers. So yes, the Tories are there to be attacked, but no, I'm not clear on what Labour's position is. James, what do you think Labour's position is? I mean, on small boats is that Suella Braverman has escalated the rhetoric, you know, massively. And I think that opens you up to the kind of Labour competence attack that you got today from Keir Starmer, which is, you know, the asylum system is broken, well, who broke it? And so I think at the moment, Labour can just attack the government for the situation. The government has to show some grip, or that it has some plan that is being stymied somehow by Labour, you know, in the political situation. I think you also, probably what you have to do is try and break out the issue of the, the specific Albanian issue from the broader small boats issue. Because I think on the Albanian issue, you might have more chance of success. Because, you know, on by definition of our asylum rules, if you turn up here from Afghanistan or Iran, however you have got here, you will have a pretty strong claim to asylum. I, I struggle to see 
how strong a claim you would have if you turned up from Albania. 15,000 Albanians we've got in the system right now. When you think these are people who need to be accommodated, mm. at huge expense to the taxpayer. And, you know, if Rishi Sunak said he wasn't going to go to the COP summit, I would have thought this was why he'd be staying. Because one of the pledges he made in that campaign trail was that in his first 100 days, he would come up with a radical overhaul to stop these abuses. Now, I wonder if that's one of the pledges he's abolished, because I do think that the small boats issue is becoming a question of competence. And Sunak is positioning himself as a man who can simply deliver where Boris Johnson struggled to deliver. I think he's got quite a good chance of doing that. But oddly, I think he'd have to start here with um, asylum. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.